podcast for beginners, a podcast for you all, hang with Chris and Jerry, talk Batman, have a ball, when you read a trade, you don't understand, we'll explain it, Bat books for beginners every day. And welcome to this edition of TVU's Bat Books for Beginners, episode 171. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book Chris and I are covering is Robin Wanted. Chris, tell us a little bit about this book. Thank you very much, Jerry. Hello, Batfans. Thank you for downloading and spending some of your time with us today. Robin, Wanted, is a 144-page softcover trade paperback that was cover dated March 2007 that was originally cover priced $12.99. The book reprinted issues of the Robin title, issue numbers 148 through 153, which were cover dated May 2006 through October 2006. And the individual issues were originally cover priced at $2.50, but jumped to $2.99 at issue number 150. Quite a jump, in my opinion. Yeah, Yeah, hit the pocketbook, yeah. (laughs) The individual issues had a small logo on them. On the cover, it was a circle that read one year later. This comes on the heels of the material that we recovered on our last podcast, the 52 event. Okay, so this was a little over 10 years ago, and this was an interesting time in DC Comics that new readers may not know about or have been exposed to, or longtime comic book fans may or may not remember. Me, I know I forgot about some of the stuff that was happening at DC at the time. There was a lot going on here, not just with the Robin book, but in other DC titles. For example, in this time, Bart Allen was a Flash, Hawkgirl took over the Hawkman title, the Legion of Superheroes title became Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes, Holly Robinson became the Catwoman. Ugh, I forgot about that one. Oh, that was yeah. 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 Yeah, now Donna Troy was Wonder Woman. That one was a little bit more easier for me to accept. Diana Prince was an agent working for Sarge Steele at the time. Nightwing was leading the group of heroes known as the Outsiders. And as we'll soon see here, there are some interesting and unusual developments with the Cassandra Kane character that we'll get into later. New hard copies of this particular trade paperback can be found for slightly higher than the cover price. And online vendors have this uh, for about $5 for about a used copy. That's the cheapest I found. Now, according to our crack research department, this just handed to me, the individual issues can't be found on Comixology. Uh, For our creative team, I'm going to go off some memory and some online resources. Uh, We have a new writer and new artist that replaced the regular Bill Willingham and Scott McDaniel and Andy Owens. Starting with this issue of Robin, the new writer on the Robin title was Adam Beechin. Adam Beechin, he's an Illinois native. He was born December 22, 1968, before working on Robin. Beechin wrote for the Justice League Unlimited title based on the animated series. After this, he would go on to work on Teen Titans and Batgirl. Beechin also had numerous writing credits on the animated series, The Wild Thornberries, X-Men Evolution, Static Shock, Teen Titans, and The Batman. I think I remember seeing his credits on there. He's also written on the Batman Beyond comic book title, but I didn't find any notable 
credits beyond the Wildcats title. The penciler on the first few chapters of this trade paperback was Carl Kershaw. Kershaw lives in Montreal. He may be most familiar for the recent work he did on a title my partner and I enjoyed, which was Gotham Academy. Yes. Yeah, I thought he did outstanding work there. The art on the lighter chapters was provided by Freddie Williams II. Now, (laughs) this is weird. Even in his own Wikipedia entry for Freddie Williams II, there's conflicting information as to the site of his birth. It was either Little Rock Arkansas or Kansas City, Kansas. They are both cited there. It's also cited there that Williams was inspired to become a comic book artist at the age of 15 after seeing Jim Lee's artwork in Uncanny X-Men number 272. Williams is an Eisner Award winner for his work on the Seven Soldiers title featuring Mr. Miracle. He's also worked on The Flash, Green Arrow, Star-Lord, and Thor. He's written a book entitled The DC Comics Guide to Digitally Drawing Comics. And most recently, he's worked on the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover. Ah. And yeah, you know, the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover, that that's a series I enjoyed much, much more than I thought I initially would. Hmm. He currently resides in Lee's Summit, Missouri. And I found out that this trade paperback has an average rating on Amazon.com of three and a half stars out of five. Mm. There are some five-star ratings, and there's at least one one-star rating. And listeners, you'll have to stay tuned to hear our rating. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you, Jerry. Thanks, Chris, and thanks the guys at the research department. <laughs> Good stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I'll pass that along, boss. Thanks, yeah. thanks. You got it. So Chris and I are going to talk about this story after a few messages from some of our friends. When you talk about comics, does it sound something like this? Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori Lamaris hasn't even been introduced. Or maybe it sounds a little more like this. You think Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? Why not? I saw the other day he was carrying five elephants in one hand. Boy, you don't know nothing. Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. No way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. Yeah, maybe you're right. Would be a good fight, though. Hello, I am the constantly caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and my comics discussions can go to both extremes, but generally fall somewhere in between. On the Coffee and Comics podcast, I will review comic stories and other comics-related topics that can be enjoyed over a cup of coffee. So pour the coffee, or other beverage of choice, and join me on the Coffee and Comics podcast, available on iTunes and coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. Welcome back. So here is the story of Robin, Wanted. Robin is battling a skilled fighter who has blinded him with a bright light so he can't see his adversary. He is about to wound them and knock out the lights. Suddenly his vision can clear and he sees his foe laying on the ground. Who's it? It's Batgirl. No. Now he removes the mask, but it isn't Cassandra but rather Lynx, who is dead. What? I know, it's very confusing. The body is cool, so she's been dead for a while. Suddenly, the GCPD show up, and Tim has to escape. Who was Tim's real attacker? Why did they kill and leave Lynx behind? Where is Cassandra Kane? Now, earlier, 
Tim had received a note saying that Cassandra was in trouble and he should come to this alleyway alone or she will be killed. Someone is planning something, but what? (laughs) (laughs) Now, Tim realizes that the fake Batgirl suit wasn't a true Batsuit at all. He needs to examine it, but it is in the GCPD lockup. The problem is that the cops think Robin killed Batgirl and they are hunting him. Ignoring the danger, he breaks into police headquarters to get a look at the suit. He gets hold of it, but a police officer spots him and he has to escape the building while being hunted by the GCPD. A woman calling herself Shauna is working as an assassin. She is confronted on a rooftop by someone who said she is wasting her talent and knows her real name. Analea. The mysterious figure snaps the assassin's neck. Lady Shiva arrives at Tim's place and tells him of some disturbing news from around the world. Nysa al Ghul, who was the head of the League of Assassins, has been killed. Cassandra is missing. Tim is being framed for killing Batgirl, all in the same night. Shiva thinks that it's all part of a coup in the League of Assassins. Tim examines the fake Batsuit. He finds a piece of paper stuck to the eyehole lining and decodes the message it contains. It says, We have Cassandra Kane. Bring David Kane to the Blaisdell oil fields at 10 p.m. June 7th or she dies. Tim breaks into Blackgate Prison to get to David Kane, Cassandra's father. He eludes the security and gets to Kane's cell and breaks him out. Kane doesn't give him any info on Cassandra, however. Tim brings Kane to the oil fields and is surrounded by the League of Assassins. Tim is subdued and sees the leader of the Assassins, no other than Cassandra Kane. No. Yes, it was her. Cassandra's found out about her secret sister, Analea, whom she has just killed. David Kane also trained Analea in secret, and Cass has killed her in revenge. Cassandra wants Tim to join her as her partner. She turned the GCPD against him so he would be considered an outlaw. She suggests that Tim has been manipulated by Bruce, just as she was manipulated by her father. Cassandra's taken over the League and now wants them to bring justice to the world together. She wants Tim to kill David Kane to seal their partnership. Tim refuses, so Cassandra shoots him herself. As he lays dying, David tells Tim that Cassandra and Analea weren't the only kids he raised to be assassins. Tim fights his way through the League of Assassins, and he escapes. He tells Cassandra that he is going to get her arrested so she can get the psychiatric help she needs. Cassandra catches him. And they fight. An explosion on the oil rig allows Tim to escape her. One of Robin's snitches, Killanilla, is told to give Robin a message in the form of a boomerang. Tim realizes that it is from the new Captain Boomerang, the son of the man that killed Tim's dad. This new Captain Boomerang has been working on the side of good with the Outsiders. One of the Joker's old henchmen stops a GCPD car to give them a message. All of Gotham is going to die. 
A GCPD officer brings Robin to talk to him, and he says that Joker has a dirty bomb in one of his hideouts. It was set to go off very soon. This guy has had a crisis of conscience and doesn't want to see Gotham residents killed. Tim goes to the location, but the bomb is missing. However, there was a lot of radiation, so he knows it had been there. As he leaves the hideout, he runs into the new Captain Boomerang. They fight a little, but Boomerang is there to help, not to fight. The two team up to find the dirty bomb. The pair search likely spots throughout Gotham. They defeat Mad Hatter traps, Scarecrow toxins, and more while they hunt together. They finally find the dirty bomb in an old hideout of the ventriloquists, where it is protected by an army of Scarface dummies. Together, they defeat the dummies, find the bomb, and disable it all in the nick of time. Boomerang and Tim aren't going to be partners, but they can be civil to each other. The end. Yeah, so Chris and I are going to talk about our feelings for the story after these words from some of our friends. Xenophiles. A fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. We hope you'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent comic series from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. Xenozoic Xenophiles is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And find us at xenozoicxenophiles.com. Welcome back. So, Chris, what did you think about Robin Wanted? Well, Jerry, this book had two distinct parts, the segment with Cassandra Kane and the segment with Captain Boomerang. I'm not sure if I liked one part more than another. Perhaps I liked the Captain, uh, Captain Boomerang bit a little more than you did. I cheated and looked at your notes before the show. <laughs> uh, honestly, I had forgotten about this period in Cassandra Kane's history. Now, I do remember when Nightwing led the Outsiders. I do remember Diana Prince working for Sarge Steel and the great artwork uh, – by the Dodsons on the Wonder Woman title. While I think that it's interesting that Cassandra is a villain here and is somewhat, and that's somewhat compelling. And hey, it appears now she's got uh, full command of the English language and verbal skills now. Where did that come from? Um, I have to admit, this side of Cassandra I found a little off-putting. Now, on the other side of the fence, we had the pairing of Robin and Captain Boomerang, rather the son of Captain Boomerang, to find a nuclear bomb. Now, initially, this seemed a little forced to me, but this. It was an intriguing notion, pairing Tim up with the son of the man who murdered his father. And, you know, I thought it was a bit telling that after they completed the mission successfully, Tim refused to shake his hand. Yeah. That was, yeah, really telling. Uh, I thought the opening bit where Tim had to break into the GCPD, to the evidence room, to me that seemed kind of long and a whole issue was devoted to it. You know, but overall, I'd have to say this was an interesting, if not an excellent read. What were your initial thoughts and opinions on this? Well, going through it first, I was, you know, there are a lot of threads in this story. So it's really kind of two different stories. You have the Cassandra 
uh, part of it, and then you have the Captain Boomerang part, which are really independent of each other. And there's also a number of other little threads that I kind of left out of the uh, synopsis. We have a character called the Dodge, who is uh, a, a guy who can uh, disappear and reappear uh, someplace, you know, in a different place. Uh, so that was uh, entertaining, but kind of a dead end, at least in terms of this this one discrete story. Uh, you know, and talk about appearing out of nowhere, literally. This this character <laughs> just can just you know can just kind of bounce around and uh, materialize and dematerialize. And to paint a picture to the listeners, this is somebody I totally forgot about, but I think he just sort of uh, had a, a string of appearances. I, I couldn't find any more uh, notes on him without doing a deeper dive with with uh, this character but he's basically shows up in a uh his costume is just a little mask over his mouth and he's got on a uh dodgers baseball uniform with the with the words uh with the with the rs taken off at the end of it and i thought well how original is that you know just, you know, you know, just you know what was that character i have no idea you know and obviously something some some thing uh not not too memorable there so yeah, yeah. anyway he kind of disappeared then does he ever come back i don't is i don't know i don't remember him ever yeah. coming back I, i'm sorry jerry i didn't mean to cut you off was there was there more you had on that well i just don't recall him really ever doing anything else do we see him much after this story uh i think he does appear in a uh a robin and a teen titans arc but beyond that i I couldn't find anything else on this character okay now one thing that was kind of that was interesting again it was another kind of story arc that kind of goes nowhere it's this uh the the snitch killanilla and what i found interesting about this was that he would be doing things, and he was clearly being cowardly as he's doing things. But his, there's kind of like he's narrating his actions to somebody else. And the way he's narrating it, it makes him sound tough and like, uh, oh, Robin, you know, he knows better than to mess with me, that kind of thing. And, and I thought that it was entertaining, but, you know, it ended up kind of going, getting, going nowhere. Which seemed to kind of be along with the fact of the uh, Batgirl trade that we looked at not too recently that uh, we had some supporting cast that was brought in, which seemed like a great story element, but these these things don't get really uh, pursued that much, which yeah. is sort of disappointing. And, the, and you bring up a good point with the Killanilla character here. Yeah, and I think kind of overall, you know, this story, uh, it, it's kind of hard to – it's so connected – to all the other things that are going on in the in the you know uh, DC universe at the time, you know you have you know what's going on with Tim, what's going on with Cassandra, what's going on with Boomerang. You you just can't pick up these trades at this point and have really you know an idea of you know everything that's going on. It's uh, you know you have all the stuff, all the fallout from War Games. You have all the you know, the one year later from 52, and it's all happening here, and it kind of makes just a regular story difficult to tell. It's a lot of well, Jerry, strings. Jerry, I agree with you. Yeah, this is not necessarily reader-friendly if you're trying to uh, get some uh, periphery of what's 
going on in the DCU at the time. You know, and I'll spoil it right now. Cassandra fans, if you want to know how she turned bad, uh, spoiler alert, she was being drugged by uh, Deathstroke at the time, and she's being manipulated by him. So that's that's why you see her as a villain here. If you want to find out more about what's going on with the character, I will have to point you to the Supergirl title and the Teen Titans title at the time to see exactly what the eventual outcome of this was. That's that's a little bit disheartening to mm. you know with with no editorial note to not point or lead you with which direction to go to. Um, that's kind of sad. There was a character too initially here. And, you know, we had the Lynx character, and I have to admit I had forgotten what happened to Lynx. You know, and I I did a little bit of research on this. You know, she dies, and you know she had already returned from the dead, uh. only to, <laughs> only to be revealed to have been killed again in this story. And I think, my goodness, you know how how. How bad is that? Um, not again. Not again. Yeah, <laughs> and as if as if we can't, you know, get rid of her. I think uh, the character Lynx is revived, but it's a new incarnation, and she's going to turn up later in the Robin title. And I think that's probably something we're going to get to at uh, a point on our podcast later on. Uh, here's a question for you, Jerry. What did you think of the uh, Zoan character, the uh, character in the side story of Tim getting tutored? You know, again, I think that was another another intriguing kind of thread. It was clear that, you know, Tim was was being tutored so that, you know, just to show his teachers and his new school that he was serious and wanting to, you know, keep his grades up. But it was pretty clear that he didn't need to be tutored. He's he does, you know, he's able to pass high school courses just fine without any help. Uh, and his tutor has, you know, a little crush on him, it, it looks like. And uh, I thought it was sweet. I, I really did like that. Yeah, and this was something, you know, sadly, that I think the character is, you know, forgotten. And I, I have to admit, I forgot about this character. But, boy, it was nice to see some uh, real-life human interaction with Tim yeah. going on here. And I think, again, this is um, – in all the uh, work we've looked at with these um, – characters of the bad cast the supporting characters seem to get short shrift and there's yeah. not a lot there that but these appear to be more, some of the more interesting or more compelling elements of the story that we we just never get followed up on which is kind of a shame yeah it sure is um so what do you think in terms of like a, of a ranking for this well you know uh i gotta tell you there were some nice things to like about this uh one clever thing that they did do, which I always love, is when they give a shout-out to an old comics uh, creator. There was a reference to an alley, and I think you mentioned the uh, oil uh, facility called Blaisdell. There was an alley called Novik, which is a shout-out to Irv Novik, Blaisdell. I think it was Ted Blaisdell. These were past DC artists and comics illustrators who were very outstanding and respected in their field, and I love when a story does that. One little touch I did like was uh, when Captain Boomerang and, and – Tim are looking for this nuclear device that come upon the timing mechanism, and when it stopped, there's 52 seconds left. I mean, okay, <laughs> very clever. Okay, we get it. The nice little shout-out to 52. Nice. Overall, boy, I was torn between a 2.5 and, and a 3. Uh, I think that the latter things kind of help push my pendulum going the other way, so I'm going to give it a 3.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, though, this is a story for Cassandra and Tim Completus only. If you're used to seeing Cassandra Batgirl in a heroine role, this may be a bit difficult for you to get into. But if you're curious, this is maybe this might be something you want to check out. So I'm going to give it a 3.0. How about you, Jerry? I think I would go a little higher, probably uh, maybe barely a 3.5. I'll just give it a little benefit of the doubt. I like, you know... <sighs> 
it's multiple stories. I, I'm not going to uh, pretend, you know, I'm, I, lo- I love Tim. I love Cassandra. I don't necessarily like her um, uh, her depiction as a bad guy here. But, you know, there were some things, you know, Tim is very concerned about her and what's happened to her. He wants to get her, you know, um, some mental health she needs. And I'm just going to, just for that reason, just because I'm a Tim Cassandra fan, I'm just going to boost it a little bit. Even though I recognize that, you know, somebody just picking this up off of a shelf, I think, would be hard-pressed to really get too much enjoyment out of it it's it's there's a lot of a lot of strings a lot of things that aren't followed up on multiple storylines the 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 bomb the nuclear bomb plot is you know that's kind of fun i mean um, i I'll, I'll give it three and a half uh, a generous three and a half okay i can see that yeah great and i think like you said this is a must read only for completists for cassandra and tim um, it's important to her character, this kind of arc, you know, that this stuff has happened to her, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I just don't think for the average reader that this is a critical story. Yeah. And like you said, there was quite a bit going on here. We had the introduction of the Dodge characters that's going to turn up in a title later. We had the, uh, apparent assassination of the uh, NASA character yeah. with the head of the League of Assassins, which, which, you know, of all places it happened here, but I think it's going to be referenced in another title elsewhere. Yeah. So, boy, we, we just have a lot of wires being crossed all over the DCU at this time period right now. That's right. We hardly even talked about NISA. I mean, we've we've seen we've seen actually in this podcast we've had quite a few NISA uh, reviews and yeah, and she's only here with one page where she closes a deal and then she dies in a car bombing. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. We know any- no, apparently, who knows? <laughs> this is comic books, after all, That's you know. And I say, I say, I say, I say that as a as a lover and a fan. Yeah. So yeah, we'll bring her back. Bring her back. Absolutely, <laughs> Jerry. I tell you, with that last show that we did on Fifty Two, I know we got a lot of feedback and responses, and I thought that was just amazing. Yeah. Now I have to tell you up front, uh, this was a challenge for Jerry and myself as reviewers, as we were covering just a portion of the work. And not the other storylines that didn't involve her name on Toy and Batwoman. This was probably the largest work that Jerry and I uh, reviewed for the podcast in terms of hope and the waves, not just the ripples it had on the DC Universe. Now, I want to give out some acknowledgments of, that we, from feedback we received. First, I want to give a huge shout out and um, my, my deepest thanks uh, to uh, the KSCD. GSF podcast over on Twitter. Now that's at Kyle Benning underscore art. And that's someone you should follow on Twitter, by the way, mm-hmm. who does an outstanding blog and podcast, The King Size Comics Giant Size Fun, among others. And he was very kind enough to comment on Twitter that, quote, all I can think is that Dan Dito, regarding to 52, hated the positive, upbeat, and nature elements that 52 and the bright light it shined when he was trying to darken the DCU. Now, I think he brings up a really, really good point. I also read that this is a time that Batman seemed a bit less surly. And, you know, Jerry, it's illustrated here in this trade paperback. There was a point where Batman actually allowed Tim a counter-argument when he was trying to clear his name, when Batman initially said just the opposite. Hey, this is my case. You know, you, you go on the sidelines. But no, Batman actually listened, and he got his opinion swayed. I want to also say that you know he sent me a link to the article with some of the quote behind the scenes, unquote, if you will, with respect to 52 and writer Mark Wade. 
And Wade subsequently had a falling out with DC and publisher Daniel. And Wade was quoted as saying, and he sent me the link to this, and this was, you know, on a couple of other sites that I find as well when I was doing a, you know, some post work on this. Wade said, quote, the biggest challenge of 52 was actually wisely kept from us by editor Steve Wacker. Editor in chief, Dan DiDio, who first championed this concept, hated what we were doing. H-A-T-E-D hated 52. Wow. Yeah, he would storm up and down the halls telling everyone how much he hated it. And Steve, God bless him, kept us out of the loop for that particular drama. Hmm. Editor Michael Siglin, having less seniority, was able to do so. And that's one issue of 52 near the end that was written almost totally by Dan and Keith Giffen because none of the writers could plot it to Dan's satisfaction, hmm. which was his prerogative as the editor-in-chief. But, man, there's little more to moralizing than taking the ball down to the one-yard line and then being benched by the guy who kept referring to Countdown as, quote, 52 done right. Oh, ouch. Yeah. So that really, really had to be disheartening as a creator and a writer. So I, I want to thank that uh, for providing that quote. Uh, thanks again to uh, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun Podcast over at Kyle Benning Art Art, who really went out of his way to um, shed some light on this that uh, we did not include in our previous show. So thank you again. Thank you. We also heard, yeah, we also heard from Mark at I'm the Gun on Twitter. He's the host of an excellent podcast of the same name. Mark responded. I find 52 an excellent palate cleanser after the distasteful Infinite Crisis fee finale. I really enjoyed visiting with you. Thank you very much, Mark. We appreciate you chiming in. We've also heard from Terrence O'Neill at O'Neill Ties. He said, I loved the Series 52. It's great storytelling, and I can't wait to listen to your show. Well, thank you very much. I don't think we liked it, per se, as much as you did. Uh, we were kind of coming at it from the one angle of – just looking at the one particular story element, I, I do confess I do I did like the uh, bit with uh, uh, Animal Man and uh, that that whole sequence there, and I did like the Ralph Didney story elements. Um, but I just find it I, I was coming at this as something that a beginner would look at, and I thought too for the price point this was just a little bit a little bit much for somebody to swallow, and I just didn't know if uh, this would have been one reader friendly and like two worth the cost, and I think that's why I ultimately didn't come as favorable as I could have been on this one. I just wanted to reiterate that. I'm glad people liked this. I think 52 resonated with a lot of people, but I don't think I per se liked it as much as someone else did. I could see how someone would love it. I can totally get it. Get yeah. Yeah. Now, we also heard from Ian Miller, a.k.a. Ian Prime. He was on Twitter at, yes, IBM Miller. And uh, he sent us a lot of tweets, and he said, guys, I've already talked with Batgirl the Oracle, that would be Stella, about the characterization of Kate Kane in 52 versus her in Elegy, but I think it's really different. Now, Stella also chimed in on this, and thank you very much, Stella. I appreciate that. She signed, she chimed in and said, yes, it's true, but I'm glad Bat, the Batwoman character, Kate Kane, got an introduction in such a good book referring to 52. Now, Ian goes on to say, I think you're right that Renee's story is the heart for the Batfan, and your great summary missed my favorite quote at the end, which was her saying, Renee, I have a question. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, that, that is a good quote. Thank you very much for pointing that out, Ian. Uh, you know, Ian is very gives provides some great, great observations, and then we always love when Ian chimes in. Now, Ian goes on to say, referring to uh, Renee and the question, you know, he, the question itself, you know, he's far from an objectivist. Rucka draws from O'Neill's run, which makes the question more of a Zen-influenced character than objectivism. And, you know, that is a fair point. Sure. Now, he goes on to say, 
I'm but a neophyte compared to you, wise bat sages. Oh, thank you very much, Ian. You know, <laughs> you know, you, you know, bless your heart, Ian. You know, sometimes I think it's 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 the years we have, maybe not necessarily the mileage, because <laughs> you know, Ian, you you are a wise friend. You know, you're a wise man yourself, and you are a great friend, and we thank yeah, you for that. So, for but sure. yes, calling calling us wise bat, bat sages, I, I can't thank you enough. I had to laugh at that. But, okay, I'll go on to say, I am but a neophyte compared to you wise uh, bat sages, having only read comics seriously for 10 years, but I think 52 can be a good intro. I learned a lot about the characters like Black Adam, Ray, uh, Ralph Dibney, and many others through 52. Not that everything was a success, though. He says, for example, I hated the Morrison-written plot about Booster Gold. Mm. Clearly a warm-up for the return of Bruce Wayne, which I also hated. However, Corey, referring to Starfire, Adam Strange, and Animal Man was a fun coming-home story, and Teo Morrow struggling with the villains was very engaging. On a side note, in terms of violence, I thought the crocodile eating someone was pretty violent. Mm-hmm. Shudder, you know, and that's something too. You know, we we do comment on the violence that we see in the stories. And uh, going back to uh, what we just had, I don't think we really had any concerns and qualms about the violence, but it is something that uh, Jerry and I do like to address on our material, whether it is kid-friendly or not. Ian goes on and he continues, lastly, while I think 52 is a better plotted story than Batman Eternal, as a bad fan, I definitely enjoyed Batman Eternal a lot. Hmm. Whoa, one last thing I forgot. GCPD is a great Chuck Nixon story, and it's also collected in the excellent Gordon of Gotham trade, prefiguring Gotham Central by a decade. Yes, I totally agree with that endorsement. Thank you so much, Ian. Um, let's go back, though, to a few things that Ian commented on. You know, he really definitely enjoyed Batman Internal a lot. Jerry, did you read either one of those, Batman Internal or Batman and Robin Internal? Yeah, I read both of them. And I, I think that, that that's that's a fair comment. I think particularly Batman Eternal definitely seemed to be wandering around. The, the plot, it wasn't very tightly plotted. Uh, whereas 52, I think, was uh, definitely much, much, it held together much better than that. You know, I think I enjoyed one of them more than another, and I'm trying to which one I I, I, I think it was the one. You know, anytime a uh, story element is retconned or where Batman, oh, let's, Batman had this secret encounter we don't know about, and he was doing all these things behind the scenes for years, you know, that, I think that kind of, yeah, I see where the writer is going with it, but when an element like that is introduced for a long-time Batman fan, it kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit uh, yeah. with respect to plausibility. Uh, I do like the ambitiousness of such projects, though I think some of the other characters uh, we got to see, the big, to see great villains, I do like when those show up. Mm-hmm. I think one of the series incorporated a more mysterious element or the magical side of Gotham the supernatural i think that was an element that uh, you, some gotham fans some batman fans either really seem to embrace or really seem to sh- uh, shun from mm-hmm. and i could see their point but I, I do like you know that there are many elements to gotham city and the lore of the characters and batman and when you do touch upon them i think they're really really great i did like the uh stephanie brown stuff with oh, yeah. with, with that. that 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 was really good mm-hmm. and uh, yeah i think it was probably man i'm trying to remember if it was eternal or batman and robin eternal which one i like more or less at any rate you know it, it is what it is and you know i, I applaud the ambitiousness of the product if not the results yeah so i yeah. i liked i think of the two i was less frustrated by batman and robin eternal i just thought it was Batman Eternal, just there was a big part in the middle of it that, you know, I don't know, you know, issue 
20 on or something like that where it just it was just doing it was it was wandering off and coming back and i i got very frustrated with batman eternal yeah fair 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 point fair point uh did you think the, so I think Batman and Robin Eternal wasn't quite as long, too. So maybe it was more tighter of a story. That, that's probably what helped it, too, in my opinion. Yeah, it could be. And it was during that whole Robin year or, you know, there was a lot of Robin stuff going on at that time. And I was getting into it. So uh, I, I don't think that I loved Batman and Robin, Robin Eternal, but it was uh, fun while the other Robin stuff was happening. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Thank you very much for chiming in, and we thank everyone who provided a comment. In a bit, we're going to get to your likes and retweets. That's right. So, Bat Books for Beginners is part of the BatmanUniverse.net network of podcasts. We offer all the Batman-based weekly comic book reviews, news, and some fantastic podcasts, including the flagship comic podcast, Everyone Loves the Drake, Batgirl to Oracle, and many, many more. If you like what we offer, please consider donating to us at the TBU Patreon account. You can find a link to the Patreon account on the BatmanUniverse.net website. Now, if you want to get in touch with Chris and I, now I know, Chris, you are on Twitter, aren't you? Yes, thank you very much, Jerry. You can find me at BTO and BatBooks. That's at BTO and BatBooks. Over there, I'll tweet some old covers of yore i'm into uh <laughs> you know for october i did uh some halloween themed covers that was really nice yeah. you know i was in a local place so I, I really you know once i you know it was kind of tough to keep up the pace but you know now that my my show's over i got to do that you can also find me on the batgirl to oracle podcast right now i'm also looking at the batman adventures comic book series this was a comic book series in the 90s that uh, was based on the animated adventures of Batman. Currently, my emphasis is going to be on the Batgirl appearances, but I might put a poll out there to see uh, if you want me to do a deep dive in each individual title. I've gotten a couple of responses already saying, hey, why don't, why don't you just look at the whole thing, not just the Batgirl stuff? So I, I, before I go any further with Batgirl, perhaps I might just do every issue. So if you follow me on Twitter, be sure to look out for a poll that'll come out around the time of the next episode of Batgirl to Oracle. Jerry, I also know that listeners or our listeners can find you on Twitter. Is this true? Uh, I've heard the same thing. And uh, if you want to go out to Twitter, you can see me at Professor Frenzy. That's at Professor Frenzy, where I cover my favorite uh, DC books. I do some Dark Shadows tweeting. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, shows. Uh, and I do uh, indie comics tweeting, DC comics, and Chris and I both, uh, we do some live tweeting on Saturday nights at the hashtag Svengoolie, so join us there. That's always fun. Yeah, Svengoolie is, that's always fun. Uh, based out of Chicago, Svengoolie plays a horror movie on the MeTV channel. That would be at 8, 8 p.m. new time slot, relatively new time slot, 7 p.m. Central Time, and I think he's at 8 p.m. on the West Coast. So, yeah, we have a great time. And boy, oh boy, we've, we've met some great friends, and it's the, the tweets go fast and furious, but they are very hysterical. It's such a warm group, and boy, oh boy, it's, a, it's an awesome community. Sure is. Last night was the Deadly Mantis. The Deadly Mantis, yes. 
and, you know, if you get on board, if you want to show up a little early too, you can also live tweet during Wonder Woman or uh, after Sven Gulli, you can live tweet during uh, the Adam West Batman reruns, and we have a good time there. So if, if Sven Gulli may or may not necessarily be your thing, but if you do like uh, the Linda Carter Wonder Woman series or the Adam West Batman series, you can certainly live tweet during any of those shows. Even Star Trek, yeah, yeah there's, there's right. quite a bit of people that's right. So yeah, the whole MeTV sci-fi lineup is is excellent. Uh, live tweets there going on so we've got uh quite a number of our friends uh that have been out there too we have uh clinton from the comics and coffee podcast he joins us and he that's a terrific podcast where he he talks about some of his favorite uh old comic books and just some of his experiences some of his many episodes just talking about you know his old uh local comic book shop just some of his old personal reflections and recollections about comics are really interesting and i definitely recommend that uh folks go out and check out coffee and comics podcast second it yes absolutely we also have uh, another one that I, I really like is Cosmic Treadmill with uh, Chris Sheehan, who you can see at Ace Comics, and uh, at Reggie Reggie, who both they do a terrific podcast, and they talk classic comics and with great detail and, and great uh, energy. And even if the comic book that they're reviewing isn't the best one, you're going to have a good time if you listen to their, uh, to their podcast. Absolutely, a great battle between the two of them. I can't, I can't highly recommend that show any higher than than highest possible recommendation for the Cosmic Treadmill. Got to check it out. Got to check it out. Got to check it out. Uh, and of course, our friends the Sutherlands who do uh, Warlord Worlds, Xenozoic, Xenophiles, and Trekker Talk. And we recently, Chris and I recently did a show um, where we talked about Batman Mask, the the Mike Grell uh, Elseworld Worlds title. And we had a great time with them. Yeah, that was on the Warlord World, so I hope you still can check that out. That was their most recent episode, if I'm not mistaken, so I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, it's terrific. Uh, and, yeah, we just have a lot of folks that are that we're talking with on Facebook and Twitter, and it's been a great time. Oh, absolutely. You know, we also got likes and retweets, aside from the Sutherlands. We got likes and retweets from Warlord Worlds, the aforementioned. We also got likes and retweets from the Batman Universe, Laurel at Mountainflower1, mm-hmm. Nedhead at Nedhead, Bill Beer. Over at Gotham Night 13, Randall Andrews from Soundtrack Alley, the Soundtrack Alley podcast. You can find Randall at Randall Andrews One. Oh, uh, Randy also has been doing a Gen 13 podcast. Yes, that's right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Jerry. I'm glad you uh, chimed in there. And uh, yeah, the Gen 13 is is something we recently started. And I've, I, I had some great uh, side discussion about Gen 13 with Randy on the side. And, you know, boy, he knows his stuff. And, you know, we have a lot of similar tastes, it turns out, you know, with, with the characters and that Gen 13 series in particular. You know, it, it was great stuff. And, uh, yeah, by all means, if you're a fan of Gen 13 or if you want to hear a good show, be definitely sure to check out that podcast along with Soundtrack Alley. Randy does a great job. Yeah. Yeah. So we also heard from Dave G at Davey Gould, Ken Solo at Ken underscore Olos. Coop at Earphonic, DJ Lori E at DJ Lori E. Let's talk Batwoman at Talking Batwoman. We also heard from the Joker at Joker underscore Bats underscore. Mm. Yeah, we also had a like from iZombie after show at iZombie. Uh. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about that? Another great show. Another great show. Yeah, iZombie. Yeah, very. You know, I, I did it get renewed? I hope it did. You it know, I did. Think yeah, it yeah, did. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, yeah, Rose, yeah, is outstanding with excellent. that. Oh, excellent, yeah. Paul Shanley at Paul Shanley. We had a uh, like from Charlie Saul at Seesaw1. 
Terry Stewart at Irish Knight 110, Samuel Goodsafe at excuse me, Samuel Godsafe at Godsafe Samuel, Jeff Hunter at Jeff Hun 34911855, The Dark Knight Minute at Dark Knight Men, Trekker Talk, again with the Sutherlands, at Trekker Talk, the fine podcast hosted by the Sutherlands, Reggie Reggie at Reggie Reggie, who along with the aforementioned Christian at Ace Comics on Twitter, both co-hosts the Outstanding Cosmic Treadmill. Thank you very much, one and all. Wow. Yeah, thank you That so was a much, lot of everyone. feedback for this particular episode. We sincerely appreciate it. Now, if I overlooked you, and perhaps it is <laughs> that I did, it's a safe bet because with all the ones we had on this show, we had a lot of feedback and the response on this particular episode. If we did overlook you, please contact myself or Jerry on Twitter, and we'll be sure to mention you on our next show. Yes, thank you so much. So that's all Chris and I have for today. Please join us in two weeks. We'll, we'll be covering another Bat Family book. So my name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And thank you for listening to Bat Books for Beginners. Bat Books for Beginners. A podcast for you all. Hang with Chris and Jerry. Talk Batman, have a ball. When you read a trade, you don't understand, we'll explain it. Bad books for beginners every day.